you can open to uh, John chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible with you, the passage we're going to be studying together is printed there for you in the bulletin. Uh, we, we are in the third week. We, we've been studying through the Gospel of John, and John chapter 4 is one of the most famous stories in the Gospels where Jesus has a conversation with a Samaritan woman at the well. And uh, we've, the last two weeks, looked at the first part of that conversation. And if you, if you were here for that part, you know that they, Jesus talked to her, offering her living water, which is he's offering her eternal life. And the conversation turns towards this uh, woman's uh, private life that she's had five husbands. Now she's living with a man who's not her husband. And then they have a conversation about worship and theology, which we looked at last week. And so we're kind of picking up. This is the third week in which we're looking at this, this famous story in John chapter 4. This is the last portion of it. So we're going to pick up in verse 27 and read to verse 45. So let's look now to God's word. This is the word of the Lord. John 4, verse 27. Just then, his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say, there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. After the two days, he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in your holy word, we also confess our weakness of mind and heart that we need your Holy Spirit to come and take these words, apply these words into our lives that we might respond to your word with faith and with obedience. 
So, uh, Lord, we open our hearts to you to be our teacher now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, this morning, uh, we are having what you might call a preview sermon. Uh, We are entering, uh, for a season that we're entering into this spring, there's something similar to what we did last year. If you were uh, with us last spring, you know that we had a teaching series that we called Feast, in which uh, in our home groups, our home groups had some discussions, and we had a sermon series, a four-part sermon series, talking about the topic of generosity and giving. And it was a whole season where as a church, we were thinking about this one topic, and the end of it, we had this big church party. Well, this year marks uh, the 10-year anniversary of Christchurch Bellingham. I can't believe it's already been 10 years. And we have, uh, woo! And we have uh, decided to do a similar a feast series this year, but instead of focusing on the topic of generosity and giving, we're going to talk about the topic of hospitality. We're going to have a whole season where we are thinking about this Christian practice of hospitality. And when Christ Church was just an idea, a few people were praying about a church forming, the main concept about who we wanted to be as a church was around this idea of God's hospitality. And you can see that, you know, if you've come to our church, our church logo is a table. It's a picture of people coming together around a meal. That's, that's who we are. That's what God is doing. He's gathering people around, uh, around a meal. And the Greek word for hospitality in the Bible, phloxenos, literally means love for strangers. And the idea is that when you are in a family, whenever, you know, when you grow up in a family, when you have a family, the family provides a structure for your life, for the good life. You know, it's a, it's a support structure of resources where you get food and you have shelter and you have clothing. And you, when you have a family, you have people around you who know you and ask you about your day. And you have love and you have support. And so what hospitality, us is about is taking all the benefits of being a part of a family and sharing them with people outside of the family. Sharing them in particular with people who don't have a family. So, for example, in the ancient world, if you were a sojourner, if you're a traveler, and you come to a town, you, you know, and you don't, you're away from your family. You don't have the resources and structure of your family. You come to a town, and you're one of the most vulnerable people in that town if you're a sojourner because you have nowhere to stay at night. You're vulnerable to the elements. You're vulnerable to bandits who are going to come and get you. And so you are deeply dependent on a family saying, we're going to welcome you in and let you be a part of our family for the night. We're going to give you food. We're going to give you shelter. We're going to talk about your, your travels. How are things going? And uh, that's what hospitality was, love for strangers. Now, by the way, what that means as we think about hospitality Hospitality, by definition, does not mean having your friends over for dinner, right? Now, we're going to talk about, and that's not a bad thing, having your friends over for dinner. We're going to have that when we talk about this sermon series. You know, what's the relationship of friends and and hospitality? But your friends aren't strangers. (laughs) You're having them over because you know them and you like them and you're close to them. Hospitality is something radically different from entertaining our friends, Now, the reason why hospitality has been such a fundamental practice for Christians throughout the history of the church is because the central message of Christianity is that all of us were born as strangers and aliens to God. That's what it means when we're sinners. We were far off from God. And God has gone out and 
brought us into his family. He said, I'm going to be your father. I'm going to bring you into my family, the church. And it wasn't just for one night. He adopts us into his family. And then in Christ, he gives us all the benefits of being a part of God's family. What are the benefits of being a part of God's family? You know, we have an inheritance, eternal life that's coming. We have a father who loves us, who tells us, ask me anything you need and I'll provide, you know, I will provide what you need. I'm going to teach you. I'm going to instruct you. Um, and uh, we, we get brothers and sisters in the church. All the benefits of being a part of God's family, he gives to us in Jesus. And so the gospel, the central message that is, defines who we are as Christians is a great act of God's hospitality. And that's what our community is. The Bible says that we are we're all spiritual orphans. And God went out and adopted us and brought us into his family. Actually, I was talking to Michelle Lindsay a couple of weeks ago, and she was telling me about a woman, I think on Whidbey Island or something, who has 19 kids, and 15 of them she has adopted. You know, she's one of those moms who's like, oh, you need a family? All right, you're coming with me. You need a family? You're coming with me. And I was thinking, you know, that's what God's like. He's like this mom who just sees these kids who don't have families in a home, and he's bringing them in. And that's what we are. We are all those kids that were brought. And you know what happens in a family and 19 kids? Like, everyone's helping out. It's, it's crazy, and there's all these different people, and they've come you know, from they got different DNA, different backgrounds, and they're coming together and say, We're going to love each other. That's what we are. And now you imagine if we saw ourselves that way. We are a family of orphans that God has brought in. What's going to be the defining quality of this family? We have to welcome more strangers and orphans in. Literal and spiritual strangers and orphans. And that's what it means to be a church marked by God's hospitality. Um, but I'll tell you, living like that is not natural for us. And so I think we need a season to reflect on what does it mean to be a, a church marked by hospitality. And I think, you know, it's important for us after 10 years, it's good to, for us to have a reboot. I know I can use a reboot. I think it's going to be good for me to study this topic. And so this is what the plan is over the next, the next few months. This week, Wednesday, we're having our first Ash Wednesday service here at the church at 6, 6 o'clock here at the church. And uh, Ash Wednesday marks the beginning of the 40-day period called Lent, which is the church since the earliest times in the church has used this as a time of preparation to prepare for celebrating Good Friday and Easter. And so uh, during those 40 days, our home groups have uh, uh, some discussion topics that, that Pastor John has put together for our home groups to discuss. Some of your home groups are already discussing uh, hospitality. Uh, we're also going to pass those same sheets out during church, during Lent. So there will be a few weeks in Lent where you'll get a, an insert that you can take home. And if you're not in a home group, you can, talk, you can use it in your personal devotions. You could use it in your family. Maybe you're having dinner. You pull out that and ask your kids, talk to your kids. If you have roommates, you could talk with your roommates and say, hey, what does it mean for us to be people that live a, a, a life centered on God's hospitality. So we're going to be thinking about that during Lent. Then there will be Easter. The four weeks after Easter, we're going to have a four-week sermon series talking about hospitality. And on the fourth week, we'll again all come together and have a great party. If you were there last spring, you know it was a really good time. We're going to be just as good this year. And so that's going to be May 19th. So save the date, May 19th. You want to be in town that day so you can be a part of it. And so... 
we as a church are inviting you during this time to talk in your families, to talk with your roommates, to talk with your home group, your friends. How do we have lives marked by hospitality? And to talk to God, to pray and say, what does it look like for my life to be inviting in the outsider, to invite in the stranger? Now, we have been studying through the Gospel of John, and I thought that this passage I just read from the end of from John chapter 4 would be a good one to start us thinking about this topic, to start the season. You know, it's a story about strangers. Jesus, who's a Jew, meets a woman who's a Samaritan. They're very different. They have a conversation. And uh, it's about food. Food is a, is a part of the discussion here. And uh, the Samaritans welcome Jesus into their house. It's a, it's, a, it's a passage about hospitality. And so this morning, to get us started thinking about hospitality, I'd like to explore three questions. Three questions to get us thinking about this topic. So first, what is our resistance to hospitality? Second, what is the routine of hospitality? And third, what is the reason for hospitality? Three things. The resistance, why don't we do it? The routine, what are some things about what, you know, the kind of habit of hospitality, what it looks like? And we'll talk more about that when we get into the sermon series. And then third, what is the reason, what is the motivation for having a life of hospitality? Three questions this morning. I think it's great insights in this passage. So first question, what is our resistance to hospitality? The two things that stick out to me in this uh, passage that are barriers to loving strangers are prejudice and earthly cares. Prejudice and earthly cares. So first, what's our resistance to hospitality? There is a prejudice that keeps us from loving people who are different than us, loving strangers. And you see that right there at the beginning, verse 27, where it says, just then the disciples came back, Jesus having this conversation with a Samaritan woman, and it says, they marveled that he was talking with a woman. Jesus is connecting with the Samaritan woman, and the disciples are shocked They have a prejudice that this is not the kind of person that we hang out with, Jesus. You shouldn't be talking to her. And of course, we, you know, we know that prejudice generally comes from a fear, a sense of fear that we fear people who are different than us, and because we fear them, we tend to despise them. And uh, John Calvin, in his commentary on this section of uh, John chapter 4, he's got a, uh, compares the woman to the disciples, and this is what he says. He says, the disciples are wrong in wondering at this conversation as an improper thing. That Jesus deigns to bestow so great an honor on a woman who was utterly despised. So he's saying they're wrong for being surprised at this. For why do they not rather look at themselves? They would certainly have found no less reason to be astonished that they who were men of no note and almost the offscorings of the people were raised to the highest rank of honor. What Calvin says is the disciples should have looked at themselves like, not why is Jesus talking to this woman? Why is Jesus talking to us? <laughs> Why did he choose us as disciples? And what Calvin says is that instead of seeing this woman as someone who's different than them, they should have seen this woman as a mirror. That's me. I was someone that no one should have paid any attention to, and Jesus came and befriended and talked to and loved. That's what he's done for me. The gospel causes us to see ourselves in people who are different than us. And it's interesting if you contrast the woman in this passage 
with the disciples. Because if you were here a couple of weeks ago, one of the things that we talked about this woman is that she's at the well at noon. She's not with anyone else. She's alone. And women don't go to the well at noon. They go in the morning or they go in the evening. That means she's been ostracized by her community. She's trying to avoid her community. And then it says in verse 28, So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? So previously this woman's avoiding all the people in the town. But then she meets Jesus, and what does she do? She runs to the people she was avoiding. Jesus Christ is the one who breaks down our barriers of prejudice against people who are different than us. And what's even more remarkable is her message to them. So, you know, she's been avoiding these people. She doesn't want to be around them. She runs to them. And the message she says is not something like, you know, she'd learned that Jesus was the prophet. She'd learned that he was the Messiah. She doesn't say, you know, I know he's the prophet. I know he's the Messiah. She comes and says, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Jesus turned her into an open, honest, and vulnerable person with people that she used to keep at a safe distance. That's an amazing transformation. So first we see that that part of our resistance to hospitality is our prejudice against people who are different from us. Second resistance is that earthly cares, earthly cares about our own life and our own needs keep us from loving the stranger as well. And, you know, in this story, Jesus has just had a life-changing conversation with this woman And this is what Jesus and his disciples, their whole mission, right? The Gospel of John says the whole reason that Jesus came was so that people would come to believe in him. And this woman meets him and her life is changed, you know, and she believes and the disciples don't care at all. They are not excited about, you know, they're not coming back and saying, wow, you talked to the woman. What happened? Tell me about the conversation. You know what? That's not what they said. That's not what they're focused on. Verse 31 shows us what they're focused on. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. They were urging, you need to eat something, Jesus. You have not eaten enough today. What could be more urgent than food? The earthly concerns about food distracted them from what God is doing. And earthly concerns, you know, Jesus talks about this. Some of you know the the parable of the sower, which is a well-known parable that Jesus tells where he says the gospel is like a seed that is planted inside of each of us and it grows up and it's supposed to grow up and bear fruit. And he says, but sometimes the seed comes into us and a bird like eats the seed and we lose, you know, that's the evil one who like takes the seed away from us. And some of us, the seed is planted in us and it has no roots. So it just withers up and it dies. But then he says, some seeds start growing up as a plant and then the cares of the world, earthly cares, wrap themselves around the plant and choke it out so that it doesn't bear fruit. And that's what happened, is we get consumed with earthly cares about providing for my own family, my own needs, my, you know, my own food, my own shelter, my own work, and it's choking out the fruitful life that Jesus is calling us to. Again, you see the contrast in this passage. What happens with this woman? Verse 28, she leaves her water jar. The whole purpose she was out there was to get water. She's forgotten about the water jar, and she's running back to go tell people about the man who, who knows her and loves her. And, and, uh, and so if hospitality does not happen in our lives, the bringing in of the outsider, it is because there are earthly cares that are more important to us. The disciples are indifferent to other lives that are being transformed. 
So what do you do about prejudice? These, okay, this is our resistance. We have a prejudice. We avoid people who aren't like us. And we have earthly cares that we give ourselves to. You know, we're kind of indifferent to, to life change. What do you do about that? Well, you'll notice in verse 27 what it says. Just then the disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking to a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking to her? The prejudice remained unspoken. I think many of us have a prejudice inside of us we never, we never acknowledge. We're not even sure, aware that it's there. And so what do you do about a prejudice that's keeping us from welcoming in the outsider is we talk about it. We name it. We say it. We bring it out into the light and, and open it. And uh, we need to do that as individuals, as families, and as a church community. We have to say out loud, this is the most important truth in my life, is that I was an outsider and Jesus welcomed me in. There is nothing more essential to who I am than that truth. So I have to think about the other outsiders. Do I have to provide for my family? Yes. Do I have to spend time with my children? Yes. Do I, do, am I allowed to have close friends? Yes. But how are we going to organize our lives so that our homes and time and relationships are open to others? And that's precisely what we're doing in this season. We're talking about it. We're going to have context to talk about it in our home groups, to talk about it in our families, to talk about it on Sunday mornings. And as we begin to talk about our resistance to welcoming the outsider, our prejudices, our earthly cares that are, that are barriers to that, what will also happen is we'll begin to ask the question, well, what would hospitality look like in my life? I actually did that. And I think that's a bigger question I'm going to handle in just this sermon, but I'm going to give some ideas in this second point. So first, what, are, what is our resistance to hospitality? Prejudice and earthly cares. Second, what is our routine for hospitality? And at the heart of a routine of hospitality is almost always food. And food is an important theme throughout the Bible. Actually, the Bible says that when God made the world, it was like a great act of hospitality. He made creation. He put humans in what? A garden. And he said, I want you to eat all the food. I, you know, it's God's welcoming us into a world filled with food for us to enjoy. And then the fall. What happened in the fall? It was taking food that had not been offered to us, the forbidden fruit, and eating it that, that caused our separation with God. And then God chooses Israel. And what's his promise to Israel? I'm going to put you in a land filled with milk and honey, with food. I'm going to bless you. The whole Bible is about food. And food is an important part of this story, this passage that we're uh, reading today. And it gives us two insights about food. The first, food is the setting for spiritual conversation. Food is the setting for spiritual conversation. And uh, if you read the paragraphs right before these, you know that Jesus' life-changing conversation with the Samaritan woman happened at a well. He came to a well, and he asked her to offer him a drink. And as they're talking about having a drink together, that's when they get into this spiritual conversation. And as you read through the Gospels, you find that table fellowship was at the heart of Jesus' mission. When the Son of God came to earth to do his life-changing work, what did it look like? He sat at tables and ate with people. And when Jesus ate with, you know, a sinner or a tax collector or a prostitute or with a Pharisee, with a religious person, whenever Jesus sat and ate with someone, he was, 
symbolically saying to them, the kingdom of God has been open to you. I am God himself coming and sitting at the table. God has welcomed you into his kingdom. And the way he showed that people had been welcomed was by eating with them. That is how people experience the grace of Jesus is at a meal. And these meals were always the setting for a spiritual conversation. And by a spiritual conversation, it was not simply, I think, religious talk. Because you look at how this woman describes her conversation. You know, when she had talked to Jesus, they talked a lot about theology and about God and about the Bible. But when she, what's the thing that was memorable to her about her conversation with Jesus? Verse 29, again, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. The part of the conversation that stuck with her was the part that they talked about her life story. This woman had talked to Jesus about her life story. What else do you talk about over meals except the stories of your life? And, you know, some of us work with people maybe for years, and we find out, like, wow, I've been working with this person for 10 years, and part of their story comes out, and you're like, I had no idea about that. Because, you know, often in work, you're busy doing your stuff, and there's not really a (laughs) setting to, like, talk about the deep things that have happened in our life. And it's not until you eat together that those stories come out. And so at the heart of the mission of Christ Church Bellingham, you know, that's what we are. We're not just a group of people that come to sing and listen to a sermon on Sundays. We are a mission. At the heart of this mission is that we are a group of people who will sit and eat with people. And we're curious where those conversations around those meals will go as we want to eat with them. And I guarantee you that if at those meals we're talking about our life stories, everything that ever happened to us, and other people are talking about everything that ever happened to them at those meals, talking about Jesus will be the most natural thing in the world. You know, many of us want to talk to people about God and about Jesus and about the Bible, but it feels so artificial and so, you know, like, how do I work this into the conversation? Both people feel really awkward. If you're talking about everything that ever happened in your life, talking about Jesus becomes very natural because it's just part of my life. And, and people are curious, and it's not, they're not threatened. We're not forcing things upon them. And when, uh, so when we ask, what is the routine of hospitality, food is at the center But food is not only the setting for a spiritual conversation, but also, second, food is the symbol of spiritual conversation. And what I mean by that is you see how Jesus uses food as a symbol for the spiritual life. Verse 31, again, it says, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will for him, the will of him who sent me, and to accomplish his work. What Jesus is saying is, you know, there is a physical hunger in us that says, you know, what am I going to eat today? There is a deeper hunger that says, what am I doing with my life? I, some of you, that, I don't know how often that's a question for you. What am I doing with my life? Is a deeper hunger that is inside of us. And Jesus says to his disciples, you guys are worrying about what you're going to eat, but I just had this amazing conversation with this woman, and we talked about the deepest areas of shame in her life. She realized that I'm the prophet. We talked about the Old Testament. We had all these these conversations. She had these questions about worship, and he says, I don't live to eat. 
I live to have conversations like that. That is the real food of my life, to be able to have conversations like that. That's what Jesus says. I think that we need to realize as a congregation, there is a hunger in all people to have these kinds of conversations. There is a hunger, the people in Bellingham and Whatcom County, who, in a gentle, not arrogant way, curious kind of way, will talk about everything that happened in my life and where is God and, <laughs> and who is Jesus. People are hungry for that kind of conversation. Actually, uh, Shannon and I had, with the, the Kalers and the Marvins, we started a home group a couple years ago where, you know, I had heard many about many people who weren't in a church, who weren't Christians, had heard about our home groups. And they said, you know, I'd love to have something like that, where I go every week and I eat, hang out with some people and I eat some food. And I was like, well, why don't we start a home group for non-Christians? And I had also heard someone say that 75% of people who are, are not religious said if someone invited them to a Bible study, they would come. I mean, just no one ever invites them. They might not come to church on Sunday morning, but if someone said, you want to read the Bible and talk about it, they would do that. So we invited the people uh, who are not Christians to come and say, what do you think about eating a meal for an hour, cook some good food, have some drinks, hang out, and then the second hour we'll take a passage, a page from the gospel and read it and talk about it in a non-threatening kind of, you know, respectful kind of discussion. No one said no. They all came. They all came every week. They all said they loved it. Some actually became Christians. Some didn't. Some would say, I'm an atheist, but I still love doing this. People are hungry for this. This is the deeper hunger that Jesus is saying. And the thing that he, he's saying I live for, the thing I hunger for, is conversations like I just had with this Samaritan woman. And that's why Jesus says in verse 35, do you not say that there are yet four months then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. He says, look at our community. Look at the people in this neighborhood. Look at the people that you work with. People are hungry for this. They're intimidated by it. They might be scared by it. They might not know how to do it. And if there is a gentleness and a warmth that invites them in, people want to have that conversation. And so what we've said so far is that we all have a resistance to hospitality, both in our prejudice against people who are not like us and our earthly cares that crowd out the habit of hospitality. But once we develop a routine of hospitality, the main thing it looks like is simply eating with people, which becomes the setting for spiritual conversations where people talk about their life stories, we talk about our life stories, and that naturally leads in to talking about Jesus. But developing this kind of routine is a life change, and it needs a motivation. And that leads to our third point. Is so it's not only what is the resistance, what is the routine of hospitality, but the last thing is what is the reason for hospitality. And I began this sermon with the big reason for hospitality. The big reason why hospitality has to mark us as a community is because we were all spiritual orphans that God has brought into his family, and he's shared all the resources of his family with us. And so if God did that for us, if Jesus welcomed us in, we have to welcome in the outsider and the stranger as well. But there's another reason for hospitality in this passage that maybe actually is the main rationale. If you read through the New Testament, and the New Testament is going to say, why should you open your life to people that are different than you? It's, different, it's a different reason. Because when you read this passage, 
who's actually doing the act of hospitality in this passage? It's not Jesus. Who's welcoming in the stranger? Verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. When the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you uh, said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Who's showing hospitality? It's not Jesus who invites the Samaritans in. It's the Samaritans who invited Jesus in. And in fact, I, I know of nowhere in the Gospels where Jesus invites anyone over to his house. As far as we know, he's homeless. <laughs> he didn't have a house. Jesus is always invited. Actually, there's one place in the beginning of John where he says to the two disciples, come and see where I'm staying. So he's staying at someone else's house, and he's inviting them to someone else's house. And so, you know, one thing that tells us is that people liked being around Jesus. I think it's a good sign for us when people who are not like us, not Christians, want to hang out with us, invite us to their house. That's a good sign that we are normal people. That's, that's important as being a Christian as well. But, uh, but there's a deeper reason for hospitality here. Why is Jesus always the recipient of hospitality? What is the significance of him going to other people's parties? He's always invited to the party. Well, if you, in Matthew 25, there is a, Jesus has a famous description of the final judgment. And I want to read you part of the paragraph from the final judgment. Listen to what Jesus says. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did, when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. The whole final judgment, Jesus says, is about hospitality. That is a sobering reality. And the reason we welcome the outsider is Jesus says that when we welcome the outsider, he comes into our home with them. He said, when you welcome them, you welcomed me. And if you want Jesus in your house, he enters your house by showing hospitality to those who have no family. That's the way he comes in. He comes in with them. And what that means is that when you invite someone into your home, we don't carry the burden of fixing their lives or converting them to Christianity. We don't have to save them because Jesus has already identified with them. He already knows them. He says, when you invited them, you invited me because I'm with them. I'm the one who knows everything they ever did in their life. He's the one who loves them. He's the one who's already at work in their life. And so the invitation to hospitality is an invitation to experience Jesus. And so that brings this story full, full circle. The one who brought us in, we were outsiders, he brought us in, is now the one that we get to welcome through the stranger. God welcomes us, and we, Jesus welcomes us, and we welcome him. 
So I invite you over these next three months to consider how has God welcomed me, the outsider and the stranger? And how should that shape how I welcome others and see the stranger and see him and see myself in them? And I pray that the Spirit would work in us as a community, that we learn from one another over the next few months. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we praise you that you go search out the lost, the stranger, the alien, the orphan. You welcome us in and you lavish on us all the benefits of being your children. It is a joy to dwell in your house. Lord, we pray over these next months that we would be a community that would be like our Father. As those welcomed in, we too would welcome in. Uh, help us to see our prejudice. Help us to see the earthly cares that are, we care more about than conversations like this one that Jesus had with the Samaritan woman. I pray that you'd guide our conversations with each other, that we would press one another on to love and good deeds. And that it would be a joy, this life of inviting Jesus through the stranger into our home, that that would be our great joy. We ask in Christ's name, amen.